You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Out of structure. Let's do it. We have time to run walls. If it's first and ten, walls. Any down and distance, I don't care. The game is over, and the Chiefs' kingdom has firmly planted its flag on top of football's highest summit. And Chiefs' kingdom, get ready to welcome your champions. Welcome back, Chiefs' kingdom, to another edition of the Out of Structure podcast. It has been a minute, but I am Matt Stagner, here with Ron Cobb Jr., we're ready to get back after it in this Out of Structure podcast. We have your mailbag questions. We've got the draft to talk about, the schedule to talk about. So much to cover, so little time. Ron, how are you? How's the offseason been treating you? Man, it's been a busy offseason. That's what life is like being a writer of an NFL team. As, as you know very well, Stags. I mean, it's it's so busy every point of the offseason. There really is no offseason. There's still... Rookie mini camp and OTAs, we got to, you know, break down, look at, you know, some pictures and look at some little clips and overreact to them. I can't wait for that stack. We'll be doing that soon. Sooner Absolutely. than you that, think. Sooner that's than later. already. The, the team is <laughs> oh, not exactly. shy about putting out some of their favorite clips in, in rookie mini camp just to get us fired up. Exactly. So, no, I, I'm, I'm, I'm pumped up, man. Glad to be back here with you and, and, and break down the roster because you're right. A ton has happened, a ton of new names to kind of get excited about, uh, some to, you know, questions, some positions to really look into. We even have a schedule to break down, Sags, get our get our get some takes off about that. So we got tons to talk about. Usually one of the least exciting big reveals of the year is when they put out the schedule because not you know, even a reveal. <laughs> you already you already know who you're going to play. It just does the order matter that much? We, we'll talk about that in just a minute. But back to the draft. Ron and I experienced the draft in two opposite ways, um, but equally uh, equally good experience. I think at least from from what you told me so far. I came in as a fan. I was flying in from a work trip in Atlanta. Got there at the very last minute, just in time to grab some Chef Jay's barbecue. Shout out. That was fantastic. Got got down to my seat and saw uh, a pop-up on my phone that there was they were had just shut <laughs> off admissions to the viewing area because they reached the 65,000 capacity where it was. So I was five minutes away from standing out on the street desperately trying to see something. But I had a great view as a fan and really enjoyed the experience. Got to meet some uh, some folks I hadn't seen in a long time. And really just that epic moment of watching the Chiefs pick after winning the Super Bowl in front of the home fans, the way they lit up Union Station, the, the way Kansas City hosted this thing was was unbelievable, at least from my perspective. No, no I, I was down there too as well. Uh, me, Steven Serdar, podcast producer, and Caleb James went down there as as credentialed media folk, which uh, was, was a pretty cool experience being able to walk around, uh, you know, and, 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 and meet some people, meet some really cool people in the industry. But yeah, I mean, the experience, you know, the NFL draft experience, like the, you know, the lawn where it was at, uh, you know, the World War I uh, Memorial, 
man, uh, not only was that cool, all the setup, but once you got to the point where you could see the stage, you were like walked around the, the monument, man, that thing was epic. Like it was cool how big the screens were just like you think you were close and then you realize how small the people were next to it. You're like, Oh my gosh, I'm not even that close to it at all. Like it, it just is that massive. So it was such a cool experience. I'm glad Kansas city got to, it was just a big party, dude. Like, I, you know, I wasn't there for during the, you know, as the draft was happening, I was only there before and it felt like it was already just like a big lawn party somewhere. So that's what Kansas city does, man. I'm, it's so cool to be able to live here, experience that kind of stuff. So shout out Kansas city. Uh, that's that's why we got Arrowhead. That's why we have you know when Kaufman's you know crazy. That's why we have Sporting KC's credit. It's because these people just love you know to party when 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 we have an excuse to you know. <laughs> Absolutely, put you on the spot here. Did you have any fanboy moments when you ran across somebody in the in the media room? Oh my my figure, biggest fanboy moment for sure was Aaron Ladd, the the big you know big time <laughs> guy here at AP. You know big big man with the suit. Now give me a little a little crap because I was wearing some Chief stuff. You know looking all. Uh, you know, you got to look a little impartial in the media room, you know, you, you do. And I was, you know, I was looking a little chiefsy. So, uh, no, it was, it was a good time. You know, uh, we, we actually saw some of the top picks, um, you know, because we were able, you know, got access to, to interview them, but the chiefs decided to draft someone. And I should say maybe the NFL decided to not invite the guy from Kansas city that the chiefs may draft at 31. We could have got to, you know, get an in-person, in-person interview with him if, if they did do that, which would have been awesome. But, uh, but yeah, it, it was a very cool experience for sure. I did have the chance to meet up with uh, Ryan Scott Hall and his Dirkness from Amateur Hour Podcast. This is, I think all of us in the Chiefs community probably think of that as the original Chiefs podcast that, that we still look forward to whenever it comes out. So it was fun hanging out with those guys and, and friends really from, from every fan base, which was made that whole experience fun. Well, let's, let's get to the picks. Who was your favorite pick that the Chiefs made of this draft? You know, my favorite pick of the entire draft was late. It was it was late in, in this class, but it was Keandre Coburn, the Texas defensive tackle, just because he was somebody that, uh, first of all, really just uh, uh, singled in on a fit, right? Like he was someone that I, I kind of identified as like, okay, if there's only a few guys in this class that, you know, truly are like that exact fit that the Chiefs need, a nose tackle that can eat those double teams, that can eat up space, kind of something they've been lacking right at nose tackle, uh, you know, uh, unfortunately recently uh, with who they've had at the position Coburn was just kind of that that safe pick to me it's like okay if we get this guy you know we, we have a, a floor of, of who we're going to get at that position which you know again he's going to free up linebackers to make more tackles just because he is this massive dude you know 330 pounds um, you know not the longest arms which you know that is you know going to be a knock on him maybe something he you know he fell down but I think inside it's not as much of a disadvantage to have the long you know the the, the short arms I think sometimes if you have the long arms you can get kind of exposed because you're slower with those arms because they're longer and, and harder to you know uh not as can't move them as quickly so keandre coburn the texas defensive tackle i think he could be one of the most immediate contributors in this class two stack so he he was my favorite pick of the class his his comp from a lot of the draft experts uh was the guy he's replacing in brandon williams so uh, that is a uh a really oh yeah good fit for the chiefs and i think he fits right in uh to that room and hopefully pushes uh, Derek Nadi either to a career year or to the bench as he uh, as he gets playing time. I would say my favorite pick. It, it's going to sound obvious, but Felix Enuduke Izama for oh yeah for all so many reasons. I mean, I I had mocked him to the Chiefs, and and again, not a humble brag here that my my pre my Both final of our favorite picks draft of every of everybody I wanted the Chiefs to take. 
I kept coming back to Felix as a great fit uh, for this defense and adding an element that they didn't really have on the edge. Uh, I knew he was kind of that fringe first round, second round pick. And so he might've fallen into a range where it was hard for the chiefs to draft him unless they went ahead and took him at 31. And I think the board fell in such an unusual way. I'm not sure he's who they planned to get, but I think they're going to be happy they did get him. But also just the storybook aspect of this. I mean, kid from Kansas city, played at K-State, drafted for his his favorite team growing up in front of the home crowd where the draft is in Kansas City after they just won the Super Bowl. And his favorite player to model this game after was Frank Clark, the guy he's, again, very much likely uh, to be the replacement for, who could still return to the roster if Chris Jones gets his way. So just a perfect fit, just the perfect story. And I think – his best football is ahead of him. And I think mm-hmm. he was underutilized as an edge rusher uh, at K-State. I think they'll get him focused on working on the outside. And he brings just a different different speed, different burst, different bend that they just don't have on this roster. And I know you took a long look at him uh, in, in on arrowheadpride.com for people to read. But that that guy, I, I think it was just, it was just a storybook uh, first-round pick. Yeah, I know. I, he was actually our uh, AP Dream Draft first round pick too. Our our our, our overall. I, I think I could kind of tell just as a group. We all, you know, with with the way the receiver group, we could tell. You know, we weren't going to be able to get one of those guys. Maybe in the offensive tackle group, just after that first tier, just maybe wasn't worth it. Maybe to to get one of those guys when you already have the rest of the the line solidified. It really felt like Felix was was the the favorite pick of all of ours. So uh, you know, it, it, it's good that. You picked him, but no, Sags, you kind of undersold it there. You Coburn and FAU were in your kind of final mock draft there. I mean, you you were nailing it. And and who else? Wasn't there a third? Or yeah, Wanya Morris, right? There was Wanya Morris. So yeah, three out of seven's not bad. Uh and I think just their overall approach matched up to what I had in mind. And we'll talk about that in just a second. But let's let's first let's get to the negative side. Who's your <laughs> least favorite pick of this draft? I think anyone who watched the live stream probably knows uh, because it was the, the, the fourth round pick, the South or uh, excuse me, I saw say South Carolina, the Virginia tech defensive back Chamari Connor. Um, he, he was a, a safety uh, kind of a slot player in college uh, played more free safety in, in his last year there. But the thing was, he was kind of an unexpected pick to me. Um, you know, I, I thought they had a, a few more needs they'd like to address. I thought defensive tackle here, like a Coburn would have made a lot of sense. So, when his name came across the board, especially when it said corner, because I, to be honest with you, I wasn't very familiar with Chamari Connor's game. Uh, you know, the Shaq meme. I, I was not familiar with his game. Um, and I and I did think he was just a straight up corner. That felt like a little bit of like, OK, come on. I mean, we we you know, we didn't need to, to, to maybe make that pick with other needs on the board. Looked into his game a little more, um, you know, still not super excited about him, but definitely this versus, you know, way more than just the corner. He's, he was actually a safety, like I already mentioned. He's versatile. They've already got him playing all over rookie minicamp, but, you know, according to, to Nate Taylor of The Athletic, um, you know, he, he, he's going to be a versatile guy. And, uh, you know, he, again, he, you know, he, he might be kind of that Sneed uh, kind of role where, you know, he, he might play in the slot, but has maybe the athleticism to, to play in other places too, you know, maybe contribute to the box. But for right now, he's just a special teams pick. And I wasn't necessarily, uh, you know, intrigued with what I saw on film, to be honest with you, uh, you know, with his coverage ability, uh, you know, he's not as athletic as Snead. Snead is a very good athlete. You know, that's kind of something that, you know, he, he maybe is an athlete, but na- maybe not as impressive of one in terms of, you know, speed I and mean, all that range. 
So he's going to be an immediate contributor as a special teamer. It seems like that's what the area scout of the Chiefs kind of said as soon as they draft, as soon as he, uh, he had the chance to. But I don't know. I just with, with what else was on the board, kind of that high in the in the in the draft. If you're getting a guy, especially at a safety position, Stags, where we're going to talk about it maybe, but they they have some names there and they have some some players there that he's not going to necessarily be contributing on defense unless he's just all of a sudden better than a Mike Edwards, a Brian Cook, um, you know. And then I I don't expect that to be the case. So it is one of my least favorite picks, or I should say, my least favorite pick of the class. That was the first big surprise of the draft, and they traded up for him using future draft capital. Yeah. And now they got that capital right back when they traded their what was it the the first pick in the sixth round uh to, so. to get that that fifth round pick back next year so that all came out in the wash i guess from the trade up but to be that determined to get this player at this point in the draft they had to know that somebody else was was interested there so i give them the benefit of the doubt there but yeah right it very much feels like a a year early legerious sneed replacement uh, and I don't want to see Legereus Sneed off of this roster. So that, I wasn't excited about that pick. The other pick that I questioned, and again, we're splitting hairs at this point in the draft because they really did address all the needs that we thought they should address. So if you look at that list of needs, they needed to get an edge player. They needed to get a receiver. They needed to get an offensive tackle. Yeah. Uh, they needed a defensive tackle. When they got Coburn in the sixth, then you said, all right, the big four positions are checked. The They took a second edge development of player in B.J. Thompson in the fifth. So all, all in all, even working around the Connor pick and seeing the logic behind that, I felt pretty good about the draft into round seven. And I thought there's mm-hmm. one position on this roster where you could draft a guy at 250th overall, slot him in as a starter, you know, Signed, sealed, delivered. That is your guy. There's very few positions you can say that about. But the fullback position, one that I, for some unknown reason, have been banging the table for all offseason. The Chiefs always carry a fullback. They didn't draft one. They didn't really sign one in undrafted free agency that we can tell. Hunter Lupiki was, I'm butchering that name now, but Hunter, the fullback from, uh, Everyone knows him. North from North Dakota, <laughs> North Dakota State, State yeah. was available, didn't get drafted. The best fullback in the draft by far, the only one really with a draftable grade, and a, an actual receiving threat from that position, not just your old school fullback. I thought that would have been a really nice way to round out this draft because not only does he have a roster spot, but he's someone that, can, that you can actually use in in without a lot of competition on this roster. You can see that – if he's your fullback, then you can add another element to your offense. You can add that passing element, that you know theoretical Cal check type role that doesn't really uh, exist outside of Cal check. <laughs> so, like th- this, that was a chance there for me. So, I didn't see the need to add another defensive back at this point in the in the draft. And, and nothing against Nick Jones, but I just would have gone. A different way at the end of the end of the draft well I, that's the thing i think in general they just needed a fullback i mean even you know they still need one which is pretty surprising you know they ha- brought in some rookie minicamp tryouts i think for the position but if you look at their 90-man roster it doesn't really include like a true fullback type um heading into training camp and that could change around obviously i think there's still time until training camp maybe there's a veteran out there we're not thinking of but uh 
maybe I don't know, Stags, is it finally the year they, they switch it up? I mean, they go with a tight end kind of hybrid thing. I mean, it could be. It, it could be. The the only veteran that I saw when I was scrolling through available fullbacks to write this article that I wrote about the fullback mm-hmm. position and how they could address it, uh, J.J. Watt's brother is out there. So Derek Watt, formerly of the, of the Steelers, he's over 30 now, but like he's been a pretty competent uh, fullback in the league for a few years now. That would be somebody that I would be interested in. I think he's still on the street. But uh, otherwise, there's not a lot of options out there. And so that's why I would have just gone and secured one in the seventh round and, and been done. And that would have given the draft an, an A-plus for me. I think I gave it an A-minus in our post-draft uh, rankings, largely because I thought they had a strong UDFA class. So I was curious to hear from you any undrafted free agents that you're willing to just bang the table for? Like who, who's your guy from the undrafted free agent ranks? Well, and that's the thing is, is I, I, if we're talking grades, I'll, I'll throw out that I said it was a B plus two, because I like, we, we talked about a, a lot of the things we did like about the, the class was how they attacked the positions and everything. Um, the thing about the the class though, is, is I really don't think there's a lot of, of immediate contribution as much as we maybe used to in chief's kingdom, and, and you mentioned the EDFAs. I think one of the guys maybe that that does have uh, the most maybe uh, opportunity, to, maybe the path uh, to maybe contribute right away other, over other guys is Daneric Prince, the, the Tulsa running back. Um, you know, the big bodied guy that, you know, in this running back group that, you know, they did sign Jarek McKinnon after the draft, which we saw, but they still needed bodies, just bodies in general. I mean, they didn't really, you know, they had Pacheco, they had, uh, you know, obviously, you know, uh, I'm, I'm blanking on who else they have on in the running back group. But, uh, you know, they they have guys out there. But uh, Clyde O'Dwyer, obviously, is, um, you know, it's easy to forget about him. So, uh, no, I'm just kidding. So uh, we'll, we'll talk about him here in a second. But, uh, no, it's just they, they, they needed somebody there. And so Daneric Prince made sense um, for me as a guy that has a path maybe to, to, to make this roster as like a Pacheco kind of similar kind of player. Maybe a little cleaner of a runner, too, honestly. Um, that's the thing. I mean, he could be a guy that kind of maybe you saw what Pacheco did last year, could do a similar thing and and might look even kind of cleaner doing it. Just doesn't have the same home run ability I think Pacheco had. Made him a kick returner, right? Uh, that's kind of the reason he was in that position. So Prince is someone to watch out for. But another guy I got a shout-out, Kalef uh, Halasi uh, from Western Kentucky, a guy I highlighted before the draft. He was brought in as a top 30 visit. This guy's a physical corner. He's going to he's gonna come in and be, uh, you know, aggressive, kind of like the Jalen Watson mold from last year. And I'm glad they got him because I think he could have gone in the draft, uh, been a draftable player. So uh, he's someone to watch out for, definitely. Kala Falasi. Yeah, Prince is the obvious choice here. But I also like Truman Jones, uh, the defensive lineman from yes. Harvard. I think he's got some some – He's got some ability there, and he could have easily been drafted as well. I think a lot of people had a fifth, sixth round uh, look at him. Uh, and so somebody that not as obvious of a path to the roster, but certainly could be a practice squad player that that could develop into something uh, for the future. Yeah, and, and you know, I, I do think Truman Jones, I, someone like that in that mold, like a B.J. Thompson, they needed to have that kind of uh, development edge rusher, you know, in this in this this on this roster again, because I think – the Joshua Kando days are getting, you know, to the end there where we haven't really seen much of a development over three years now. And, you know, at the same time, he's never really had the juice that I think some of these guys might have, even though if they're a little smaller, that's the problem. And, you know, that's probably why, you know, spat, it'll be an uphill battle for all of them to contribute. But um, Truman Jones, definitely exciting. Caleb James been on that one of our, our film analysts. All right. Um, so you've already alluded to this a little bit, but, 
are there is there a pick that you wanted to highlight that you think is going to contribute right away? Uh, we, we heard you say that you don't think a lot of them will, but but is there anybody that you think could jump out this year? Well, that's the thing. Coburn is my favorite pick because he is the one that can contribute the fastest. And, and it is my big takeaway. It's just that this class could be a really good class. I could see how these players develop into, into good players. And, and that means, you know, that doesn't mean if they don't do well or they don't contribute as much in year one as the two classes have before them that they're not as good of a class. I just think we have to maybe give this class more time than we maybe have given the other classes. And a lot of that, too, to me, rides on, like, Frank Clark. Because I do think FAU has a chance to to be an immediate, immediate contributor, be that kind of rush edge, uh, you know, that weak side uh, guy kind of getting the space and winning with speed. But if Frank's back, I think they're going to trust him a lot in those roles still again. And so if Frank Clark, you know, I think that kind of depends on that a little bit. We'll see if they bring him back. Chris Jones is vi- vi- uh, vouching for him, right, on Twitter. Um, you know, every day, it seems like daily, but like a guy like Rasheed Rice, you know, he doesn't have the return ability or the jet sweep ability maybe to, to contribute immediately like McCole Hardman did when he first came in, you know, like other guy, you know, like even Sky Moore last year, Wanye Morris, you know, all of a sudden they signed Donovan Smith after the, the draft to make it clear that uh, Juwan Taylor is going to be that right tackle. He's now a development player, you know, not going to be starting right away. I already mentioned Connor out. He's a special teams guy, not going to be playing in the secondary. B.J. Thompson, development guy. Coburn really is the only guy to me that has a clear path to contributing immediately. And so that's where, in my opinion, you know, this class might just take a while. You know, a guy like Wanye Morris to me, I'm excited about to see his development because I do think he has the skills, the tools to develop into a a solid player for this team, even at left tackle, because he's played more left tackle in college than he did right tackle. So I do think that's could be the case that we're going for here, keeping Taylor at right tackle. But all that to say is it shouldn't be a bad thing that I'm saying this. I'm not calling it a bad class because of that, right? I just think if we get to the end of this year and they're not having the same kind of highlights that last year's uh, class did, we shouldn't be saying, oh, v- did Beach take a step back in drafting, right? Like that's, right. It, could be a, it could be a headline. You look at it, it's really on the strength of the roster that that's true as well. They don't need a lot of these guys to be immediate impact players. They're, they had yeah. some some spots available. They filled a lot of those spots. Uh, and you're right. When when Donovan Smith signed, then all of a sudden, Wanya Morris went from, you know, right after the draft or right after he was drafted, I said, hey, worst case scenario, there's your swing tackle day one, right? He's your he's your guy and he can compete at right tackle. Right. Now, he's got to compete to be the swing tackle, <laughs> you know? And, and so there – if he's not on the field right away, there's that's no knock on him. They've they've set it up that way. They put veterans and they've stacked veterans in front of them. Exactly. I do yeah, think yeah. I do think Rasheed Rice fits an interesting role on this team. And and we're gonna talk about receivers and, and Rasheed Rice in just a minute. So I don't wanna give that give too much away there, but I, I, I think that we might be underrating his ability or his uh, early ability to contribute. Um, but really I'll take the easy way out here and say Tremari Connor is going to be the the most immediate contributor because he's going to be a, a maniac on special teams and and you're not you may not see the field that much on defense but he's going to make some special teams plays that are going to get people excited so uh, I'll cheat and, and go with Connor there my one of my least favorite picks is the, <laughs> the most immediate impact just because he can play special teams. Well, but you're right, though, and I and I, I think there is something to saying, hey, the special teams unit has kind of been bumpy a little bit recently. Maybe they really felt like if they got a guy, a staple guy, you know, they've they've lost their Daniel Sorensen. Maybe this is a good comp. That's a good comp for, for Connor, maybe a Daniel Sorensen type where on defense you're never super excited about him, but 
maybe gets in position to because he he is he was used as a blitzer a lot in college, so he knows how to make plays in that in that essence. That's true. I believe he led his team in sacks his freshman year. If yes, I five sacks or six that, sacks. Or, Excuse me, uh, six sacks. Yeah. So I mean, Steve Spagnolo, like when he got on the phone with him, right, said, "We're going to blitz you. We're going to we're going to have you doing a little bit of everything." So you right. never know. There, that might come earlier than expected, but. Worst case scenario, he's going to be he's going to be on special teams and he's going to be making tackles and and uh, uh, that that'll be that'll be something at least. Um, just final big picture thoughts on the draft. Again, I like their approach of filling those needs early on, but that's why again, not bragging about that that final draft that <laughs> I did or even the AP Dream Draft. But I think we all agreed, um, you know, something like edge receiver tackle should be the first three picks and that's exactly what they did and they they got great value later on with with Coburn at defensive tackle to fill the other need and I, and I uh, I do think Prince makes a difference uh, in the running back room so if you really round it out I think they they address positions of need maybe the names aren't exactly who you thought they were going to be or uh, the pick at the same time you thought it was going to be but I think they did well and I think these guys will uh, will round out a pretty strong very very young roster uh, and, and and you're right. So if if it takes them a couple of years, it is not a bad thing given the way these last couple of draft classes have been. Yeah, and I should hammer home the point that you know I'm not only saying that they they may not contribute right away. I am also I, I or I should say I'm not doubling that by saying that they're not going to be good players at all. Uh, you know I I really like the development curve that FAU could go on. I really do think he could be a Tom Bahali type of type of rusher, not to the same you know, level of success. You know, Tom Bali became one of the best pass rushers in the NFL, but just that kind of speed rusher where he just wins with leverage and and just has the kind of, you know, unique, you know, size and bend that you don't see with some players where he's thick and, and can kind of give you some power, but but still can bend around you. I really like how he he's flexibly can move. I really like his development curve. And I feel like he has so much more room to grow on his body. I said it during the live stream. I really, that's my favorite part about him as a prospect is he's already such a good player. But he's a very young player, just turned 21, only played three years in college, has so much more room to grow still, even already being a pretty solid player. Um, you know, it's, it's funny you mentioned that because maybe it was the 91 jersey, but I really saw a lot of Tom Ali when I went back and watched Felix's tape. And some of it was when he, when he gets the edge, he ends up with an offensive lineman's arm around his throat a lot kind of like Tom Ali used to so it, that that tells me that he's pushing you know the edge that, he, that he's you know that he's a handful for offensive linemen to block and and he's relentless the way Tomba was which kind of gives you that uh, one-two punch with Karloftis where both guys have huge motors they have completely different styles I really think the the way they complement each other could be a, a nice tandem for for a lot of years to come Right, exactly. I think uh, I, I mentioned it in my film review of him, but one thing he really just does, you know, uniquely well sometimes that rushers sometimes fail to do that's kind of a small thing is he brings his entire body through on the edge rush, on the bending around. He brings his hips kind of through. He kind of, he almost like, uh, you know, uh, thrusts his hips, kind of, uh, you know, exaggerates it to an extent. And so when you do that, the offensive lineman can't just have your shoulder pads and, and, and wash you out, you know, uh, you know, from the back like he can if you don't, you know, if you, if you, you know, bend around the edge and only bring your upper body through, you kind of get top heavy all of a sudden. He can just throw you away. If you kind of bring your legs through with you, he has to kind of hold you to, to get you from just beating him. And, and he, th- he got a lot of holding calls. Uh, actually highlighted one against Alabama that would have been a sack 
Um, but that's that's it's what he does, and he kind of has that natural ability. So I'm excited for him. But I just think, you know, even a guy like Rasheed Rice, you know, he's an athletic freak. Um, obviously, someone that Patrick Mahomes really likes, which I think is 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 pretty cool to see kind of how much uh, Mahomes is already, you know, taken to him. He's an athletic freak that has the size and, and the build. I just think right away, you know, if if Sky Moore kind of does step up as a second round pick last year, you know, uh, you know, a, a guy that they they like to have with the ball in his hands. I mean, he he is an electric player with the ball in his hands. If Sky could Arizona and NBA, and we'll talk about it, but I just, you know, I, I do think there's a chance Rice, you know, maybe doesn't see the field as much in his first year, but still continues to be a player or, you know, turns into a player that we're excited about in the future. Quite possible, but I think it's probably about time for us to go to break, uh, pay a couple bills, hear from our sponsors. But as is tradition on this podcast, we have to do a would you rather as we uh, go to break and as we come back. So I'm going to surprise Ron with a would you rather. Uh, regarding the schedule itself, would you rather the Chiefs have an easy first half of the schedule and a hard second half or vice versa, a hard first half of the schedule, easier second half of the schedule? That more schedule takes and all of your questions coming up right after this. So stick with us. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. And we're back on the Out of Structure Podcast. I'm Matt Stagner here with Ron Cobb Jr., who is on the spot as we speak with our Would You Rather. I asked Ron before break, would you rather have an easy first half of the schedule and a more difficult second half, or would you rather that be reversed? Uh, which way do you think works better, Ron? I think I would rather have the hard part later in the season. I, I think I think even if the easy part is first and you kind of maybe get a big head because you're beating teams that aren't as good as maybe you're going to be playing, I think it's important you kind of, you know, you get ready for the playoffs by playing the tough teams. You don't kind of walk into the playoffs on a win streak because you've been playing some beaten up teams or something, you know, or, you know, low lower teams. So I think I'm going to say I'd, I'd rather – and, and, you know, when we talk about the schedule, I kind of think the schedule kind of lines up that way to an extent where it's the, you know, the it's lighter maybe in the first half and harder in the second half. So I think I would rather have it that way. I think you can make a case that the, the other way around would be better if you, you know, get battle tested early on, get up to speed, and then right. uh, maybe you have uh, injuries and things you can kind of, uh, you know, get healed up, get right before the playoffs with a, a little bit less daunting second half down the stretch. Uh, but yeah, I think you're probably right. I think you want your team hit on all cylinders and 
in playoff football mode when it's playoff time. But as you see, as you mentioned, this year's schedule, it's not the same gauntlet that we thought we had uh, in, in 2022. It's not the easiest schedule in the world, but it is, it looks a little bit, uh, it looks a little bit different just the way it's laid out. I don't know how to describe it yet. What do you, what's your overall take on the schedule? The schedule is funny to me. It just, it, it's it starts with kind of opponents that maybe we don't always see in Chiefs Kingdom, uh, you know, especially if, like if you're going out to a game, you don't expect to see the Lions, uh, you know, at at home. Apparently the last time they played in Arrowhead was in the Trent Green era. Uh, you don't expect to see the Bears, uh, you know, at homes. And those are the two first home games kind of and those are prime time home games, dude. I, I in terms of just. You know, Arrowhead, I, I love a cold Arrowhead, don't get me wrong, but, you know, those September games are nice because, you know, it's 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 warm outside. Everyone can, you know, tailgate all day. Um, and, you, you know, Lions and Bears, man, I it, it kind of leaves a little weird taste in my mouth. And then the, the other opponents in the first five weeks are Jaguars, Jets, and Vikings. So just kind of a weird start to the schedule. Just a lot of uh, teams you don't see a lot. Obviously, the Jets are going to be good this year. Uh, you think, I mean, who knows for sure, but uh, you, you think they should, you know, they were a good team last year. They were a competitive team last year. I think the Jaguars is going to be a tough game too, but overall stags, I just, it's kind of a funny start to me. I just kind of some weird opponents and I'm not a big fan of the lions uh, as the week one uh, uh, opponent. I don't know. I don't need to go on the rant, uh, you know, quite yet. Maybe I want to get your takes too, but uh, we can talk about it. Yeah. It's interesting. It's, it's a little more symmetrical maybe than last year's because you've got, three division games in the first half, three division games in the second half. You've got, um, you know, the the big turning point to me, I mean, it, it, and again, quite literally turning point of the schedule, Dolphins in Germany, then a bye week, then the Eagles on Monday Night Football. Like that's going to be, that stretch is going to be really fascinating. That's going to be really exciting to see uh, how they handle, you know, the trip to Germany, the Tyreek Hill matchup, and then the the Super Bowl rematch, all in in a span of back to back games, essentially. Yeah, no, I, I wish Tyreek was coming to Arrowhead. I I can't lie, that would have been fun. It would have just been kind of a fun experience to kind of see that how the fans reacted, kind of if he did have a big play, kind of how it would look and stuff. But it is going to be cool. I I think I I. I I can't remember if I've said this on the airwaves yet, but I do think it's a really cool way for, or it's a cool matchup for the chief or for the NFL to put on the international stage, you know, put in another country because, you know, you're putting the best team in the NFL on one side, and then you're putting probably the most electric group of offensive skill position players on the other side of the ball, right. especially because they've upgraded it even in the draft with a guy like Devon a chain, the Texas A&M running back. I mean, with the Shanahan offense that they have, the way they use, he is going to have some big plays as well. We'll 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 be talking about him during the season. So it, they've got a lot of speed, and, and it's just kind of a fun uh, display game to be international. But wish it would have been an Arrowhead. Absolutely, I think that's the right take. Well, we do have a question from Max at Dismax44 on Twitter. With the schedule out now, if you had to rank our opponents into a list of tiers, most exciting to least exciting. What teams are at the top and the most excited about matchups? And what teams are at the bottom in the least exciting matchups? I, I took the liberty of doing this uh, into two tiers here. And, and you can tell me where you agree or disagree. To me, the most exciting matchups, and, and this is in no particular order within the tier, but the most exciting matchups are the Jets. I think the Lions this year are going to be a fun matchup. Uh, the Jaguars, the Eagles, 
the Dolphins, as, as discussed. Uh, of course, the Chargers games are always exciting, both of them. Uh, and then the Bengals. That's the top tier, most exciting matchups. The bottom tier, uh, I've got the Vikings, the Broncos, and the Raiders, just because, you know, that's <laughs> it's gonna be it's gonna be a mess again, probably. Uh Packers, uh, without Aaron Rodgers, the, the Patriots and, and the Bears, although the Bears are an up and coming team, I think. With that they might they could be fun at least in the next couple of years, but I'm not sure it's gonna be that fun for Bears fans this year. Yeah, no, I, the Bears are going to be a fun team early in the season, too, when they have optimism. That'll be a fun game to be at because Justin Fields will make some plays and, you know, test the defense for sure. But I, I do have beef with the Lions, the the week one Lions opponent, uh, you know, Super Bowl banner night. You have so many good home opponents you could choose from. I mean, a Chargers game even is a great AFC West opponent. You could have the Tyreek storyline right away. I mean, honestly, I would have been a good one. You could have the Eagles obviously coming into Arrowhead yeah. on Banner Night being revengeful. You could have the Bengals, obviously. They just saw, they just lost in Arrowhead last time they played. You could even have the Buffalo Bills, who just played on Banner Night last year, so that would make sense why they wouldn't. But still, another AFC-quality opponent. It's not that I don't. I'm not excited about the Lions tags. I do think they're going to be a good team this year, qualify for the playoffs probably. They're going to have an, a, an exciting offense. But it just feels like everyone's kind of jumping the ship on the excitement. Like, let them prove to us first, and then we can – like, let's have them next year take on the Super Bowl opponent week one. Let's 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 have them in prime time, you know, when they prove it later in the season, when they – you know, we can flex to them, you know, because they are contending for the playoffs. I just feel like week one, you're throwing them into the Lions then, uh, pun in, no pun intended, uh, because they are the Lions. Uh, but they're going, they are going to get eaten up in Arrowhead, I feel like, week one. I just, I don't know. I just feel like Dan Campbell is as much, uh, you know, espresso drinks, you know, uh, 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 as he can drink. You know, he, I just don't think he's going to have him excited enough for, uh, you know, to, to beat the Chiefs on banner night like the Chiefs will have. I just feel like they, they miss an opportunity, man. I don't know. I, I, I just feel like the Lions could have been a later in the season game, would have been a, a fun game later when they're kind of, you know, riding a hot streak or feeling themselves. They're just not going to, you know, have Jamison Williams this game either. They had some other suspensions. You know, they, they, they were dealing with some stuff there. I just wish it would have been later in the season, Stags. I wish they had some other opponents to take to take on week one. Yeah, maybe the Lions are too early, both in the season and in their development, for, for, for them to be uh, here so. on Banner Night. I, I get that. I, I think they've got some exciting skill players that they've really turned over, uh, and, and it's going to be interesting to see how it all fits together. Uh, but, yeah, it, it might not be hitting on all cylinders week one. I, I somehow left the Buffalo Bills off of my previous tiers. Obviously, they're in that exciting game tier. Oh, yeah. I would actually be pretty excited not to have to play the Bills in, in the regular season again because it's just going to be a slugfest. <laughs> but uh, I think that's uh, that would have been a very logical uh, early – I mean, I think the Eagles would have been the most logical game one. Um, yeah. But uh, uh, I will the, say – The Bengals early would have been – would have been. Yeah, the Bengals would have been. I think that would have been really fun to do. But the Bills, I will say, this is the first time. I feel like we always play them early in the regular season. This is the first time we're playing them kind of later, maybe a little colder of a game, you know, more implications. You know, last, they've beaten us in the regular season, but it's never mattered because the, the rest of the season happens and we end up with a better record. But maybe this one will have a little more implications this time around. Yeah, it's, it's going to be a fun season, I think. And, and again, there's there's at least enough – uh, intrigue throughout and, and they're spread out. It's not like a gauntlet or a murderer's row of, of Super Bowl team after Super Bowl team. You got the Eagles, then you play the Raiders and then, and then the Bills, then you, or sorry, the Packers. 
Then you got the Bills, then you play the Patriots and the Raiders again. Then you got the Bengals, you know, so like at least there's a couple of games in between uh, Mm -hmm. the more difficult matchups. And there's always something on this schedule every year that we underestimate or overestimate. Uh, I'm sure you've already gone through and predicted the the record. Uh, Are are there any surprising losses you've got penciled in? Anybody that you think that is going to be tough for the Chiefs to beat this year? I mean, watch out for week two. I think going into Jacksonville uh, early in the season when it's super hot, it's their home opener. They're obviously a good team. I mean, they just made the playoffs this last season. They beat the Chargers. They gave the Chiefs a pretty decent game in the, in, in Arrowhead, although Mahomes did beat them with one ankle. Um, and Chad Henney, you know, Chad did Chad Henney things to beat them. But they, I think, you know, Dougie P is going to be looking forward to that game. He's going to have them hot and ready uh, to roll that game. I could see the Chiefs maybe after, you know, an emotional high banner night, you know, kind of, you know, again, maybe throttling the Lions a little bit, kind of maybe not, you know, maybe not getting into regular season, kind of like the Cardinals game last year, you know, where they just didn't really feel like too much of a regular season game. I mean, it just kind of just happened. And all of a sudden, week two was the big game against the Chargers. I can see that being the case. And I can see Jacksonville uh, pulling something off right there. Yeah, I, I think the Eagles matchup is going to be brutal. Uh, I think they're going to be uh, angry after losing the Super Bowl in the way they did. Uh, they've really loaded up their defense, and and I think that's even coming out of the bye. Uh, that's yeah. going to be that's going to be tough. That's going to be a really really tough game. Uh, I would not be surprised to see them lose that game. I also think um, that the Chargers at the end of the season in January, that's going to be a tough matchup, but also. You know the Chiefs could could easily have already clinched their their playoff spot, and that that might not be a game that they take as serious as the Chargers, who who might be fighting for their playoff lives at that point. So you might see you might see the the Chargers in Week 17 there as a potential, or Week 18, I guess, the 17th <laughs> game uh, as a potential yes, loss as well. Yeah, no, I, the thing about the Bills game, I will say, is it is after the Bills bye week. So they are coming off a bye week going into Arrowhead. I think that gives them a good advantage in a late season game where the Chiefs will be coming off two road games, although against the Raiders and Packers, who shouldn't be too too terribly uh, you know, tough this year to beat, but we'll see. Yeah, and then the Jets will be another really interesting game early in the season. That'll be and fun. Again, a, a team that's just completely flipped their roster uh, around Aaron Rodgers, and, and this is – you know, they, they had a good draft as well. They had some really, uh, I think, some picks that are going to be uh, pretty early impacts. So that, that might be another team that uh, uh, that will jump up and bite some folks. I, I don't think they're at that level yet. I don't think they're going to have it all ready to go by October 1st. But uh, uh, it's one not to take too lightly. It's one of those things, though. I mean, when you watch them last year, a lot of times it did really feel like all they needed was a quarterback. And they really do – for the most part, have the same team, if not a better team, because their younger players will be developing. So, you know, Rodgers just may not be that, you know, maybe he's not as as good as he used to be, but he still may give them a little better than they've had. And and that could be a a dangerous playoff team. So they are, they're going to be a fun team to follow. I'm excited to kind of see how they, how they work. I'm not going to lie. McCole Hardman revenge game. They, uh, they're, they're going to look better with Garrett Wilson, Alan Lazard uh, and, and McCole Hardman. Uh, added to that group I think it could be could be kind of interesting there um and yeah their their defense is is pretty solid so it's going to be yes uh, it's going to be no joke there for sure all right 
enough about the schedule. Let's get to Black Elf's question here. Uh, first of all, thanks to Black Elf for all always asking great questions and and for giving us the uh, the shout out. He says he's glad to see the podcast return, as if it was ever in doubt. Uh, the, the, he asked yes, a question sir. about the wide receiver room. What's the estimate for the top four wide receivers total yards by the end of the season? This is a tough exercise, just given you know how much changes year to year. Uh, the Chiefs, you know, let Juju Smith-Schuster walk, let Cole Hardman walk, and then brought in Richie James and Rasheed Rice uh, as their big addition uh, to the room. So how is it all going to shake out? Who's going to make the – not only who's going to make the roster, but who's going to be their biggest contributors? But if we had to go top four, the top four receivers, I think we agree, would be uh, Kadarius Tony. Ideally, the number one if he stays healthy all season. Sky Moore and MVS, and, and maybe not in that order. Maybe it's MVS, then Sky Moore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, number four is a little bit of a question mark because you've got Rasheed Rice, you've got uh, Justin Watson, uh, and then uh, Richie James, who we just don't know what to expect from the, those three. Uh, I think we agree that Rice is probably – uh, the fourth guy in that room, if, if all goes well on, on his development. Um, but that's certainly, of the four, the one that we have the most question marks about. Well, I mean, I'll say it. There is There, there are question marks because I do think something, and I already mentioned it, but, but he just doesn't have necessarily the other tools in his toolbox that, that maybe the Chiefs can use in other aspects of the offense or on special teams um, that keeps him you know, on the field. And so if you're talking, again, you have Kadarius Tony, MBS guy, you know, and then you have guys like Justin Watson and Richie James potentially, which, you know, we can talk about. But I do see a path where they need a returner, man, and Richie James could be that guy, and they could have him on the roster to be that guy. And if, if you have him contributing on special teams, Justin Watson's obviously contributing on special teams. He was a big part of that last year. You have those guys then. That's five receivers is all of a sudden Rasheed Rice sometimes a game day inactive depending on what's going on? I know he can fill that Juju Smith-Schuster role because he is that bigger-bodied kind of guy that can maybe go over the middle a little bit. I think ideally they like Sky Moore to kind of be able to fill some of that too. I think, you know, as much as Sky Moore is not the same big body, he is a tough player. We've seen it. You know, he's made some tough catches. Uh, you know, he is a good route runner, and, you know, he is tough to tackle. You know, he, he's kind of that running back kind of runner after the after the catch, so – if, if Sky Moore steps up this year and kind of takes some of that Juju Smith-Schuster role, there's a chance for she Rice, you know, doesn't even see the field sometimes and isn't on the field at all as an inactive because he doesn't contribute on special teams maybe, which I don't know. He's a freak athlete. Maybe he can contribute on special teams, and I'm underselling that. Maybe they can find a role for him to be a good gunner or, you know, a good blocker in some of the units, but he's not a returner is, is my main point. And Justin Watson is a, is a, is a big part of the unit. So I don't know, Sag, is that – Am I coming in hot with that, or, or uh, what do you think? I mean, it's it's a reasonable take, and I think there's um, you know there's something to be said for the fact that they are going to have to decide on a receiver, or I'm sorry, a returner. You certainly don't yeah. want to see Sky Moore back there returning punts again. No, I mean, Super Bowl absolutely not, absolutely not. Canarius uh, Tony, you got to keep him healthy for the season. So I don't necessarily want to see him return in punts unless it's in the old Tyreek Hill mode of it's a big game, big situation, and we just need somebody to break one. Uh, maybe you give him one here and there. 
But on your in your down in down out uh, returner, that's just going to take all the the beating. I don't, I don't think you want Tony doing that. So you're you're back to looking at in the same way with kick returner. I guess you don't want Isaiah Pacheco as your leading kick returner either. So they're certainly going to be looking for a a re- returner or two. And and maybe that is Richie James. Maybe that's why they brought him in. He was also a productive rec- receiver for the Giants last year, 569 yards, four yeah. touchdowns. I mean, that's not nothing uh, in, in this league. And he's got some speed and quickness. Um, so he's somebody that that I think could, could easily be a factor. You know they still like Justin Watson, and they're going to give him his. He might get more snaps than the rest of the guys. I just don't know if he'll get more production. They love Watson. Uh, for for the eating up those snaps as a blocker, as a you know decoy or whatever uh, you want to call him. So let, let's get to the production numbers real quick. Unless you have one more thing, go ahead. Well, I was going to say one thing, probably not to undersell about Rice is he is a good blocker. Maybe that's some way he can get on the field. That I you know I talk about the jet sweep, the return stuff. Maybe they like Rice on the field to be a blocker. Maybe that's where you can get some some snaps early too. Fair enough. He is, so, he is a good blocker. He's a strong blocker. Okay. To get to the question then, uh, total yard predictions, and this is you know a little bit of a shot in the dark before we've seen how they line up in this offseason process, but Kadarius Tony, we said at about 900, give or take, yeah. assuming he stays healthy. Uh, he takes over the production of Juju Smith-Schuster, obviously in a very different role or different way. You've got Sky Moore around 450 yards. Uh, we've got MVS around 700 because that's what MVS does every year. And and so assuming he's the same and Sky Moore improves and Tony uh, stays healthy, that's kind of the assumptions for those top three. So you've got, in, in order, Tony at 900, MVS at 700, Sky Moore about 450. Then you've got Rice, uh, which is really hard to predict, and Watson uh, and James, those, those three. We think there's about 800 yards up for grabs amongst those three guys. Whether that's you know, the way I drew it up, which is I'm predicting Rice at 400, Watson 250, James 150. Um, it could go a lot of different ways, but that's mm-hmm. that's at this point in time the best guess that I can throw out there. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm with you because I think if you do, you know, kind of the over-unders here, I think they do kind of balance out a little bit. I think, you know, for me, you know, I would take maybe Tony a, a little over 900. I, I, I'm going to believe in the talent and that the Chiefs kind of utilize him in, in such a way that he does get over that hump. You know, health obviously is going to factor in there, but, uh, you know, I, I'm, you just got to bet on it at some point with talent. Um, MVS, you know, at 700. That's a really good line, man, uh, you know, because he was at 687 last year in 17 games. So, you know, I, I would probably take the under there just because, you know, I'm going to bet on maybe some of these younger guys uh, like sky and, and uh, uh, you know, I, I think Richie James, you know, I, I at first I kind of, you know, maybe uh, uh, down downplayed the signing, but you know, the more I think about the fact that they are going to need a returner type on the roster, like you just talked about, I, you know, he's going to have to be on the roster anyway. And you talk about him being a productive receiver or being a veteran receiver, a guy that has played in the NFL before, Man, he could carve out a role on this uh, in this offense a little more than we maybe think. So yeah, I'd take the over on him too. So when you kind of factor all those in, it does kind of balance out to where I think that's a pretty good, uh, solid estimate for where they're all going to be in the cho- in the in the order there. Well, speaking of Rasheed Rice, we've got a question from AP at Kansas City underscore AP. 
Uh, should I buy a Rasheed Rice jersey purely based on offensive production from his rookie year? Well, I would say no, because there's a chance, you know, you're <laughs> going to be disappointed with his rookie production and and be like, oh, Veach, you know, he, he didn't get the right guy in the second round, blah, blah, blah. And then the next season you look dumb because the Rice jersey's popping and you don't have one because you you didn't want to you didn't want to uh, buy in early. No, I, I think Rice. I'm excited about him. I'm not, I'm not guaranteeing he's going to develop into a guy that we get super excited about um, because I do think he has some room to grow, um, and that's what was my first initial take. I mean, I, I, I thought that the second we picked him. But he's a freak athlete, guys, and, and, and someone that Mahomes is very excited about, and, and that's half the battle, man. We saw Mahomes and McColl bicker on the field quite a bit, uh, and he was the last, uh, you know, the, not the last second-round pick, Sky Moore was, but, you know, hopefully uh, we don't see that same kind of bickering with uh, Rasheed Rice, I think, maybe. The chemistry is already off to a good start. Yeah, for historical context, you go McCole Hardman, his rookie year, um, was it 538 yards and six touchdowns? Um, yeah. You've Woo. got Sky Moore's rookie year last year at 250 yards. Uh, didn't score a touchdown in the regular season. Uh, obviously had the epic one in the Super Bowl uh, for his first NFL touchdown. You got. I could put Richie James somewhere in between. I'm sorry, Rasheed Rice somewhere in between. And, yeah. and he's, uh, uh, I would buy the Jersey. If you're going to buy Jersey, I don't buy jerseys, but if you, if you buy jerseys, I'd buy one because you're, you you want to buy early. Like Ron said, he, he could yeah, blow up by year two. I think they've got a plan for him. And I think they, you know, when it comes to the draft strategy, I think everybody's on the same page that they probably wanted one of the top four guys that all went between picks 20 and 30 couldn't get there. And, of the next tier, he was by far their favorite because I think they look at him and, yeah, they see somebody that can fill the Juju Smith-Schuster role, mm-hmm. but I think they see a little bit of the guy that, that Rice models his game after, a little bit of DeAndre Hopkins there in, in the way that he goes up and gets it, the way he fights for jump balls, the way he fights, uh, runs like a, a running back and, and fights as a blocker. I mean, you talked about all this stuff. The tools are there. The traits are there. Sure, there's some things he needs to work on, but if they have a defined role for him already and they liked him enough to trade up and, and get him at the top of that second tier of receivers, I think there's some hope that he could surprise some people in his rookie season and at least be better than Sky Moore was last year uh, and, and maybe somewhere closer to what McCole Hardman was his rookie year. See, but that's and that is where, you know, I, I want to be the cold water on it because those two players had skills that allowed them to get on the field um, as more than just true wide receivers as perimeter, you know, or not perimeter, but just guys that can line up and and go get a, a pass. You know, they could just get a quick screen and, you know, Rice can get thrown a quick screen too, and, and the ball in his hands. He's pretty good at the ball in his hands, but he's just not the same type of player. Um, and, and so maybe that takes a little longer to get going um, and you can't just throw them at partner turn kicker turn. You can't just give them a jet sweep and, and that kind of thing, you know? So that's, that's where I could see where just because he, he, he's maybe, uh, or I could see his numbers being lower than that. And we're, you, but you're not disappointed just because he's maybe not getting on the field as easily as those guys. were. You'll see flashes though. You'll see some highlight real right. stuff. that's going to get you fired up this season about rice. And, and I think sky Moore's rookie season we all say it's standard, like, yeah, it's an Andy Reid offense. He was a rookie. He's not going to do anything. I think Sky Moore's rookie season was particularly disappointing uh, because 
he did a lot. He had a lot of plays where I believe, at least from what I've seen, where he was not on the same page with Mahomes, where he mm-hmm. may have run the wrong route or, or ran it the wrong way or did something, some little nuance, some little detail that prevented him from being on the same page as Mahomes. So I set my expectations for Rice higher than Sky Moore's rookie season. Uh, maybe Moore you know, corrects all that stuff this year and, and has a great year, which I hope he does, and I, I think he could. But the characteristics about Rice that I think could get him on the field early, again, he can catch the contested pass and the jump ball, which really nobody else on this squad can do in that way, except for maybe Jody Fortson, who doesn't get, doesn't get nearly the volume that he needs <laughs> to be an impact player. Uh, he is a great run after the catch guy, so you could get him you know, schemed up in space and get him the ball and get him running north and south, and, and he, can, he can do some damage that way. Um, but I, I think there's a role for him there, and I think there's some things that he can do that's, that might be, might be a little bit unique, but, but we'll see. Yes, oh, sir. the one other thing that he was good at in college, by the way, is uh, when the play breaks down, the improv mm-hmm. stuff, getting on the same yeah. page, getting open, finding a spot. Uh, that could be the difference maker. I mean, if you look at the yeah. guys where Mahomes has great chemistry with them, it's the guys that know where to go when Mahomes breaks down on the play uh, and starts to improvise and just finds an open spot. I mean, that that alone could get him a couple of highlight reel plays. No, hey, I'll tell you, uh, one guy really good at that, former Chief Byron Pringle. Uh, I think he kind of maybe made uh, some big plays out of that and uh, earned a yeah. career, earned a contract uh, there that uh, maybe – you know, maybe he wasn't. He's not living up to that. That's that's not a comp I want to see right now. Let's let's move on. Uh, Pacheco Truther, uh, by the way, totally unbiased Twitter uh, account here. I'm sure at Pop <laughs> Pacheco Stan on Twitter. Will Isaiah Pacheco be back to start the season after his surgeries? Well, we're certainly not going to break any news here uh, and 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 speculate on his health and, unless unless Ron wants to, but. Well, Andy Reid did have a comment on it, so we'll, we'll give the the update that he said uh, that he did confirm the offseason surgery and that he's making progress. We'll just see how he does with it. I can't even give you a timeline on it, but he is doing well. He goes through all the steps out there with phase two and that he can't get hit on that thing. So it sounds like right now he's definitely not ready to roll on anything, um, but he's getting there. And so we'll see. I mean, you know, that's the thing. You know, if, if, if he's out too long, a guy like Eric Prince is going to start taking reps and reps and all of a sudden, man, you know, he's going to get comfortable back there. So I don't know. Uh, he's a pretty similar runner. So it, it is kind of interesting there to kind of watch because it came out of nowhere. No one really knew he had surgery until the uh, till about last week uh, kind of all of a sudden got revealed. So Yeah, the only thing to, to throw out there is if he was playing through that in the Super Bowl and playing like he was, then I, I'm not going to bet against him to, <laughs> to be ready to go now that it's been repaired. Um, at Jake for now, our guy Jake Wilson, Chris Jones, and Gerald McCoy both credit Chiefs defensive line coach Joe Cullen with their was significantly elevating their play. If Cullen's reputation is warranted, what expectations should we have for the young defensive line and which lineman other than Chris Jones could be the most impactful under the tutelage of Joe Cullen? So this is a good question here because I, I think he's on to something, man. Joe Cullen is a good coach, and we saw we, we saw why they wanted him here. We're, we're seeing them. You know, this defensive line got a lot out of their guys last year when it didn't the year before, right? Um, and so I'm, I'm, I'm a big Joe Cullen guy. I'm, I want to give him some credit here. And one guy that, you know, maybe it's more just like, you know, projecting more than, you know, predicting. But, you know, if, if they could get their hands on Charles O'Menohue and, and really, you know, refine his technique as an edge rusher, you know, 
allow him to be kind of a better edge setter in the run defense, be able to play all three downs um, and, and, and be able, you know, maybe be a better pass rush from the edge too. I do think his best pass rush reps are on the inside and, and you do need to be able obviously to, to be able to win uh, from the edge as a defensive end, uh, believe it or not, um, you know, and, and get some pa- uh, counter moves in there. And, and I do think he struggles with that sometimes, but he's definitely got the talent, the juice, you know, the movement ability at his size, the length, um, he, he's someone that we, we, I'm, I'm excited to kind of see in camp and just see, you know, what's going on there. Because if, if Cohen has his magic pixie dust on anybody and turns him into a, a really good player, then yeah, you're going to have some, a re- another really versatile game wrecker like you do kind of have in Chris Jones, just on a, a, a lower level, obviously. Yeah. I, I love that signing when it happened. And I, I do think I actually like him better from the inside. And I, and I hope that, I hope that uh, Colin is able to do, work his magic on the first round pick, my favorite draft pick, FAU, get him ready on the outside. Uh, then you've got Aminahue on the inside with Jones on some downs. That right. could be a really fun package with Karloftis, FAU on the outside, Aminahue and Jones on the inside. Obviously a pure pass rush package. You, you probably would be vulnerable to the run a little bit there, but uh, I think – I think there's enough tools in this rookie for him to make a, at least an early impact as a situational pass rusher. But I wouldn't be surprised if they do a George Karloftis with him and just throw him out there and let him get a ton of snaps and develop on the fly so that by the end of that rookie season, he's not looking like a rookie anymore. So mm-hmm. uh, I'm excited to see him get his hands on on Felix. Yeah, no, FAU, he's going to be, he, he will be in on pass downs. And so maybe it's it's important we, we, we talk about that, uh, you know, right here, because he, he is going to be the guy they kind of want maybe, uh, you know, uh, coming in when they do have a mini who Chris Jones on the inside, you know, you mentioned Carl office or Dana on the other side, you know, just a strong rusher, um, you know, and Dana can play some of that inside stuff too, but many, he's obviously the ideal guy. You just give Felix some space, you know, uh, no guard help. He's got, you know, if he knows it's a pass down, he's, he's, and there's no run threat. I mean, he's going to be able to, to give us uh, some good reps. So I'm excited to see that kind of part of it. It just seems like, you know, like Carlotta's maybe had last year where he could play right away, maybe a little more because he was a little more just uh, firm, um, you know, a little more, uh, you know, right away uh, in terms of the strong side defensive end, kind of able to just hold up. Uh, we'll see. I mean, Felix could. I, I'm not, I don't want to doubt him. I'm not trying to say he definitely can't. Um, but I just I, I think he may not have as, uh, you know, good of fortune as Karloftis said, you know, kind of playing right away, kind of fitting in right away on on all the early down stuff. But pass downs, man, he's going to be in there uh, causing some havoc for sure. He's too good of a rusher not to be. Well, who was the at least based on the videos we saw, who was the guy that Cullen was most excited to see join the Chiefs this year? And it, and it wasn't the guys we just talked about. Um, yes, it would be really interesting to see if. Uh, he's able to get his hands on fifth round rookie. Uh, wait, fifth round rookie? Yes, fifth round. Yes, fifth sorry. round rookie. Over and Coburn. What's that? Over Coburn. That's a, it was just <laughs> another one of those, just like it was driving me crazy. But BJ yeah. Thompson is fun. He's fun. BJ Thompson and, and the way that he, he how athletic he is. Um, yes, everybody's going to talk about how he needs to gain weight, but. Could they find a role for him? Could they develop him uh, on a fast track, uh, pun intended, for, for a guy that can that can really move? Uh, I'm excited to see what he does with him as well, just because it's so out of the realm of a Steve Spagnuolo defensive end. It's so different from everybody else that they have on the roster. 
if they get B.J. Thompson playing to to what he he showed glimpses of, even at the Senior Bowl or the uh, the Shrine Bowl, whichever one he was in, uh, in, in the post game or the postseason bowls there for the college ranks, I thought he really had uh, flashes of being an NFL pass rusher, even in a very limited role. So let, let's see what he can do with that with that ball of clay there. Yeah, no, he, he's a guy that originally went to Baylor. Um, you know, originally was a highly thought of football player. Um, you know, he's he's a guy that definitely has that speed off the ball. You know, that's a, that, that is the thing. It's, it's, it's hard to tell if he does have true bending skills or if he's just really fast off the ball um, and can kind of just get to that spot quickly. And so we're, he's going to have to prove it in the NFL, but that's something that, yeah, the uh, you know, it's obviously exciting to have. Definitely think he's that Kane, though. Um, or Malik Herring, kind of those two maybe uh, guys that, you know, they're trying to develop, see if they can get anything out of on the bottom of the roster. But he's going to replace one of them, likely Kando, and, uh, you know, try to develop from there. So I'm, I'm excited to see where he can go. Well, that's all the questions we have from the mailbag, but I want to throw out maybe a new game that we can mix in to this podcast whenever we feel like it. And I borrowed this phrase from uh, from Josh Briscoe. So uh, thank, thank you, Josh Briscoe, for, the, for this uh, expression. I, I heard him say, am I on to something or am I just on something? Mm-hmm. And and so I want to throw out a couple of takes here, one from each of us, and, and we can debate whether we're on to something or just on something. So, Ron, you're, you're up first. Oh, man. Yeah. So I, I this kind of came up recently here on, on Twitter. Um, the the ballad, the life of Clyde Edwards Hilaire kind of just. Just, you know, we're, we're getting to this point in his career where it's, it's do or die in this next season. And, uh, you know, just the, the running back position in general is just kind of, uh, you know, we think we know it, but, you know, it always can flux, you know, flux and stuff. And, you know, I saw him, it was a Sunday morning. I wake up and I see his game against Alabama from his last season in college where he's just spinning out of tackles and breaking through people and, and, and looking like, the dynamic he ran a corner route out of the backfield for a touchdown i mean looking like that dynamic receiving kind of all around back that we you know we thought we were getting in in the first round right and so i don't know i just am am i on to something that you know his injuries have just piled up and you know i know this is a you take right this is this is what you have been saying um but it's just something where it's it's to me it's like are we like, I I'm kind of feeling myself doing this again where I'm like, okay, like if he, he just kind of needs that, that healthy, you know, and and the role. And now he's a pass down back. You know, I know McKinnon is here and he is the true pass down back, I think, but he can, you know, Clyde has always done well in the red zone in those past, you know, those kind of short passing kind of uh, situations. So uh, to me, it's just, uh, it it does feel like, you know, am I on to like, okay, Clyde's going to, or am I just, am I just on this too much? And we just need to let it go. Like sometimes I just need to say, all right, like, Let's just focus on everything else. Like if Clyde does something cool, he'll surprise me. Don't, you know, cause me and you, we were, you know, we were both kind of in on it last year and it just didn't, it, it almost worked out. It's, you know, it's just, it's, it's tough stags. It's tough. I know you're in, in on, in this train with me or on this train with me. Yeah. I'm going to say I, I'm more conflicted now than I have been in a while about Clyde because I do think he was much better than advertised last season. People forget because it was early in the year. We got recency bias going. He had a really, really solid start to the 2022 season. Uh, he was a touchdown scoring machine early on. I mean, this is a guy that that really was productive when he was on the field and healthy when when he got the football. 
The problem is he wasn't on the field and healthy all season, obviously. Mm-hmm. And then he they stopped giving him the ball whenever he was healthy. Um, and so mm-hmm. you, you got to wonder where he stands with the team at this point. Obviously, there's the talk about the Super Bowl parade and how he didn't go to that. And now, you know, where's his priorities? Brett Veach made made sure to point out he was the first guy that was in the building, you know, and he's excited about what Clyde's going to do this year. Um, some of that's GM talk, right? It's just somebody's always going to going to say that as long as they're on the roster. But I think there's an opportunity for Clyde this year to be part of the rotation. I don't see any reason to let him go at this point. Um, I think the running back room, as we talked a little bit about, you want some some different varieties in in the room, and Clyde is never going to be Pacheco, but Prince might be Pacheco. So if you mm-hmm. set the running back room and you said your starter is Pacheco, your third down back is McKinnon, Pacheco's backup is Prince, and McKinnon's backup is Clyde, and and Clyde can still do some things in the passing game, can still be you know right. kind of that, that option out of the backfield, um, so that obviously puts him in third position to get carries and catches. So he's not likely to have a breakout season, uh, but you're not on something by saying that he should still be around and be part of the room. So I, I would say you're, you're on to something, but there, there might be just a ceiling on, on his opportunities. That you well, I just, I, to me, the thing is just like, I still feel like he can be, yeah. Like what they kind of thought he was at first, you know, Brian Westbrook, as exciting of a back as he was like, you know, yeah, he, he, you know, he wasn't the the home run threat. He was, you know, a very, you know, just catch out of the back. He's going to run sharp routes. He's going to, you know, get make the most of his opportunities, be kind of tougher to tackle like Clyde is. I, mean, I remember that angle route last year against the Chargers where he blew up Derwin James over the middle and ran for another 10, 15 yards. I mean, it's just it, it, those kind of plays make me like, wait, are we? do we have the guy that we thought we did? And then it's just like, wait, or is it just, he shouldn't. Yeah. So you get it, but I, it, it's tough, man. It's, it's, he's, he's one of the most polarizing players on the team. Absolutely. Well, for, for mine, it's more of a big picture question here. I'm going to make the statement and you can tell me if I am onto something or just on something. And, and I'm going to, I've been trying to write this piece about the chiefs roster at this point, And I've been looking for outstanding needs. Is there still, a position of need on this roster. I'm going to say there's not. I'm saying this roster is as loaded as we've ever seen it. And there is not a position that you can name where there's a real need at this point uh, that hasn't already been filled by this offseason. I think you're on to something. And, you know, the one we can, you know, the positions we can kind of needle at, we've kind of talked about, you know, the fullback position, right? You know, hey, they don't have one, but are they? Do they have, uh, you know, they have tight ends that maybe can do a lot of that that kind of role. So maybe that's where they're going now. And, you know, after the draft, I wanted to say running back because they didn't address. I thought they would maybe draft a running back. You know, a guy like Kenny McIntosh, the Georgia running back, went very late, and I thought he would have been a great pick uh, for the Chiefs to replace McKinnon. But they just get McKinnon, and and that does fill the role, right? I, you know, I do not, you know, there isn't a real reason to to need another running back with what they have right now as long as Isaiah Pacheco continues on his, his injury uh, recovery. And so you keep kind of kneeling, I don't know, interior offensive line depth, you know, maybe there's something you can say there, but then they signed Jerome Carvin, this Tennessee guard too, that, that seems to be a pretty solid player that could have got drafted. And, and they re-signed Nick Allegretti this off season and they have, you know, uh, versatile tackle guard options on the, the roster that can do that. 
I mean, yeah, Stags, you go down the list, man. I mean, you know, there, there's not a lot of places you can find a hole at, and, and, and I'm, I'm with you. I'm, I think you're on to something. You know, fullback is that question, but in <laughs> receiver, obviously we thought there, there'd be a big splash addition at some point this offseason, and there really wasn't. But they might want to go with quantity over quality when it comes to receivers, and right. they may just carry seven receivers and not carry right. a fullback. And – Rotate those guys in, see who, who makes plays for them. Um, offensive line, I think, is absolutely stacked. I didn't see any reason to bring in Donovan Smith, but they did it anyway. So now they've got two veteran starters. They've got a veteran right, right tackle backup a vet- and a rookie swing tackle. And as mentioned, the interior is the best in the NFL. And then you've got Nick Allegretti backing him up. Uh, you've got Darren Kennard from last year, who's, who's probably on the interior now as a backup. So they are, this team is, is pretty well set. There's not a lot of opportunities for undrafted free agents to make, to make the roster. There's not a lot of room for them to sign free agents off of the street. Last year, not one UDFA made the active roster to start the season. Yeah. Um, this year, I think generic Prince is probably going to make the roster, but after him, it's going to be slim pickings and there's going to be, there's going to be some battles for practice squad spots, and this is going to be a, a deep practice squad. So I'd be perfectly happy if they lined up with this exact roster uh, on on week one against the Lions. Uh, I, I don't see a need to go out and make another move. The only one I, I'm guessing that they might consider is, as we've mentioned three times throughout this podcast, <laughs> maybe Frank Clark comes back. Yeah. And, and you've got a, another veteran for that edge rotation. But then you're going to start getting into some tough cut decisions and some tough release decisions. So maybe that's the focus of our next podcast. We'll talk a little bit about who might not make the roster that we expect to because uh, it's not a hot take at this point to say that this Super Bowl champion, Kansas City Chiefs roster, is completely loaded. No, it's not. And, you know, the Eagles get all the high, you know, all the headlines about it and stuff. And, and they probably do have a more, you know, a, a more highlight filled roster. They just had the, you know, the 10th overall pick. They were able to kind of do some stuff with that. But no, I'm, I'm with you. Uh, you know, you mentioned the Frank Clark thing. If they do that, I mean, just imagine having Mike Dana as your fifth defensive end um, and fifth defensive end usually is, is kind of, you know, not even, you know, playing that many snaps. And he's a very, very solid player. I mean, you're just talking about a very deep rotation. You know, the interior defensive line, you know, I think maybe that's where we could, you know, you could maybe say, oh, you know, it's not like super impressive. But Derek Nottie and Keandre Coburn, whoever isn't the starter out of that, is still going to be very quality depth. So, yeah. and then you still have Tershawn Wharton to kind of give you some pass rush juice. So, yeah. Yeah, you're, Wharton's you're the one that I think is almost a forgotten man at this point, was, a, was looking like a very productive interior pass rusher before he got hurt. And so... Uh, he might be a, a fun uh, surprise this this season, but I hope so. He's going to have a similar role, so it, it's it's going to be interesting to see how it all plays out. Yeah, Tershawn is is he is someone that looks like he could be productive, but when you look at his stats when he even is healthy. He's looked at his career pressure numbers. He's never truly been um, too consistent, even when he's been put in really ideal situations. Only pass rushing on pass downs next to Chris Jones. And so, you know, he does have to prove it. This is kind of, I think, is maybe his last year to prove it until he becomes an unrestricted guy rather than a restricted guy. I'm not 100% sure, um, but I think that is the case. So, 
he's got a long way to go, and he, you know, he's got to recover from injury too. You know, that did happen last year, so he, he's got. Yeah, to I mean, I guess he he could be one of those surprise uh, guys that doesn't make the roster when we talk about this. Uh, if if they were to add a Frank Clark back, for example, so yeah, uh, a lot of off season to come, a lot of preseason coming up. Uh, we're looking forward to being back on our regular schedule here with the Out of Structure Podcast. We appreciate all of you for tuning in today. And every week, make sure you rate and review. Uh, hit us up on Twitter with questions for the next time uh, we have a podcast. We always appreciate uh, all of you spending some time with us. And we look forward to the next Out of Structure podcast. For Ron Cobb Jr., I'm Matt Stagner. We'll talk to you then. First thing in the morning, as soon as you wake up, the to-do list starts. Does the car need gas? Hopefully those leftovers are still good. Why did I get CC'd on the <laughs> No. You can't escape the to-do list, but you can make the most of your me time with a relaxing shower using Method Hair Care products. Try Pure Peace Volumizing, Simply Nourish Moisturizing, or Daily Zen Shampoo and Conditioner for daily use. All formulated with long-lasting fragrances and are safe for color-treated hair. Reconnect with the best version of yourself. Visit methodproducts.com to unleash your inner shower. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle. It's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.